I'm Devorah Vale. I'm a life and wellness coach and the host of this podcast. Welcome to Accessing Your Best Self, a space meant for exploring the wisdom of Torah and its practical application for improving our character. All right, so we're going to be continuing this morning with our topic of Ta'ava, Taiva, translated in English usually as desires, lusts, whatever, but we are going to call it basically the ability to control our impulses, right? Some of us, you know, just again, back to the Chomer and the um, differences between people, some people are just born to be more impulsive right? Impulsivity can be a, an issue, right? They don't think things through. They are very driven to just get it done and do it, just do it as the Nike sign says. And of course, this can be a positive thing, um, you know, because the opposite could be somebody who procrastinates and never seems to get anything done. But of course, we know that it can also be very dangerous because impulsivity, again, it's the idea of before the act, you really, really want it, you do it. And then after the act, you say, why did I do that? And so um, I think it was Rabbi Dester said that when a person's experiencing this, it's like there's two valves and the valve to their mind closes while the valve to their emotions and their desires opens. And so a person's not really functioning with all of their faculties um in check or you know in charge so you're talking about the idea that we're made of body and soul and because of that Hashem made the world full of pleasures because the body needs them and we need them and you know pleasure is important for spiritual growth because when your body's satisfied and happy When you give the body, so to speak, what it needs, when it's not feeling deprivation. And, you know, of course, what goes with that is concern and worry over the material things of life. Do I have enough? Will I have enough on one extreme? Um, But then there's also the, do I really need this? Is this too much? Am I drowning my soul, so to speak, or the voice of my soul because the voice of my body has become so much louder, right? And so it's so difficult for me to pay attention to the needs of my soul because I'm always being distracted or I've allowed myself to get into this pattern of being distracted by the needs of my body or by the pleasures that my body desires. So... Again, this is based on the classes of Rebetzindina Schoonmaker from Israel. I just want to give her credit because she's the one who puts all these ideas together and makes my life easy. And um, so she starts here with a Rav Itamar Schwartz, who actually wrote, wrote the book, Know Your Soul, which talks about the four elements. And, you know, he says very often in life, we're at a crossroads. Or we're at that place where, you know, we're trying to decide, should I buy it? Should I not buy it? Do I eat it? Should I not eat it? Right? We're, we're, we're experiencing that kind of struggle. So he says that when it comes to physical things, sometimes it's a lot easier to discern what to do. 
you know, I see a beautiful dress in the store and then I look at the price tag, right? And it's way out of my league. So it's not hard for me to say, well, can I afford this, you know? And if I can't, so it's no. And if I can, okay, so maybe I get it if it's a bit beyond whatever. But he, she's, he's, but the point is, is we, we do this with physical things. We make this hash bone. And she says that we have to do this with spiritual matters too. When it comes to spiritual things, we should do this. We should ask ourselves, can I afford this? Can I afford this? And the, the line that, uh, that Revison Schoomaker talks about is the question of al cheshbon ma. You know, what's the cheshbon if I do this? I should be making an accounting, right? The same way, can I afford this dress? The same way when it comes to spirituality and spiritual practice, do I want to go down this road? If I go down this road, what's it going to look like? right? If I give in to some kind of immediate gratification, whether it's eating that food that I'm not really sure is kosher, I'm not really sure that hexure is good. You know, I'm just giving a, an example that, you know, we can all relate to, um, you know, what's my cheshbon? Al cheshbon ma, right? And she says, by getting used to asking this question of what's the cost? And the cost always in terms of spiritual growth is, is this going to bring me closer to my goals? My spiritual goals, which really ultimately is closeness to Hashem, connection to Hashem and the way that he prescribed for the Jewish neshama to be able to reach that closeness, Right. For the Goyim, they have seven mitzvahs. They have seven mitzvahs. Now, don't think seven mitzvahs are easy, right? Those seven mitzvahs have a lot involved in them from, you know, knowing there's a God to, I believe they have honoring your parents and all of these different mitzvahs, they can spend a lifetime learning about them. And we have a lot more. And because of that, we have the Torah and we have a prescription for how to nourish our neshamas and nourish our connection to Hashem while we're still in this world. So the question is always, you know, what's the cost of whatever it is I'm going to do? Is it going to bring me closer or further from my spiritual goals and ultimately closer to Hashem? Okay. So in the Masilis Yesharim, The Path of the Just by Rabbi Moshe Chaim Lutzato, who we quote very often, he's called the Ramchal, the acronym is the Ramchal, he says that the whole purpose of life is to do mitzvot and to overcome difficulties. And pleasure is very important for one's avoda Tashem. So a person has to ask themselves in terms of the amount of pleasure that they have in their life, is this working in my favor or not? In other words, if I'm using the physical world and everything in it to bring me closer to my spiritual goals of being able to do as many mitzvot as I can, right, and being in a position where I can overcome difficulties, right, because I'm nurturing and nourishing myself with the things that I need, which can be very physical, right, um, then that's okay. But he says, 
But a question they have to ask is where is the point of diminishing returns? In other words, when does it reach a point where the pleasures that I'm seeking in life are not there to serve me, but they're actually becoming a chase and they're becoming counterproductive. We know that this can happen before people even know it, right? There can be a slippery slope where what we think we want, what we say we want actually becomes a need. You know, I always say, you know, be careful what you want, because if you get it, so it's very difficult now to live without it, because your wants end up becoming needs. We're going to talk more about that as we go on. So everything in the world is just to help you get to your spiritual goals, and everything available in the world is to help you reach this goal. And you need pleasure in order to have koach. You need pleasure to give you that energy to want to drive you forward because spiritual work and keeping your eye on the ball and developing yourself spiritually is hard work and it's difficult work. It's no less difficult than the athlete who every day is out there working, you know, physically to develop their body, to make themselves into a person of excellence in whatever, you know, athletic endeavor they're in. So spiritual work demands the same kind of attention and rigorousness and discipline. But of course, the pleasure that comes with reaching one's goals and the pleasure needed, again, to be able to have the energy to pursue that is very, very important. Because the prerequisite to developing oneself spiritually is calm and peace of mind to be able to accomplish your goals. And the pleasures of this world are here to make you calmer and help you reach your goals. So that's the question again, that we have to ask ourselves whenever we take on another pleasure, right? Decide that we need this, we must have that. The question that we ask is, is pleasure, pleasure going to help me reach my spiritual goals? And we said that there are people who have too little mayim in their life because pleasure is very important, right? That they don't forgive themselves certain pleasures that they might really need. And it may really enhance their spiritual growth if they give themselves that thing. And we said that sometimes we get that too little mayim mentality from our parents, from our upbringing. You know, I don't need that. Nope, I don't need that. I can't afford that. I'm not getting that. I'm not giving myself that. You know, better I give somebody else. After all, you know, that's chesed. Giving to myself, well, you know, that's just selfish. I mean, we can have all kinds of emotional issues, right? And then you see people who have no emotional issues, right? They have no trouble buying themselves goodies every single day, right? Whether they can afford it, whether they can't afford it, you know, and that's a different uh, emotional issue. But what we're trying to do, like in everything in, in, in Judaism, is to find the balance, right? Is to walk that road where the plant that we're watering is not only getting the right amount of water to be able to flourish and develop, right? But it's getting the right kind of water. We're not pouring bleach on the plant. 
which will kill it. And again, the right kind of water is the pleasures also. What type of pleasures are we indulging in? So, um, so one of the examples that Dina Schoonmaker gives is that when she was younger, you know, she was starting a family and she always felt, I don't need any cleaning help. You know, I don't need any cleaning help. I can do this all myself. I don't need a vacation. And she said a lot of times, you know, what happens with spiritual growth, especially with young people, when they go to seminary or the boys go to yeshiva, they become real ascetics. You know, they go to the other side of as little water as possible. And, you know, especially today, a lot of kids come from very uh, affluent, cushy type of places, not everyone. But, you know, one of the messages that, that they get in seminary and in Israel, and they see people living with less, and they see people living a kolel life, you know, um, is, you know, it's not good. I have to get rid of my pleasures. And sometimes they, they um, their fault is they go too far to, the, to that side. But sometimes, as the Rambam says, you have to go to one extreme in order to come back to the middle. So, you know, sometimes that can be a beneficial thing as long as they don't stay there in a way that's unhealthy and not realistic. We talked about this before, that a person has to be realistic about the pleasures that they need. If you grew up in a certain lifestyle and there's certain things to you that are just given from your childhood, to get rid of all those things can be, uh, can be um, unfair can be a loop, can be a negative type of uh, thing to do for your spiritual growth. But everybody, again, has, this is very, very individual. People have to know themselves. So um, Dina Schoonmaker gives an example of how she remembers once going on a vacation when she finally decided that maybe a vacation might be good. And I think she also got some cleaning help eventually. But, you know, she was saying at the beginning of her marriage, she was very idealistic. She felt she could live this much more ascetic type of life of uh, deprivation, if you want, or as I use that word loosely. Um, but um, she said she went on a... Uh, vacation she took her notebook with her and she said the vacation which obviously is a good thing to do because if you're going on a vacation right not to escape life but to recharge yourself to be able to come back to your life in order again to take on spiritual growth mitzvot to become a better person to work harder on yourself in that spiritual rigorous exercise that is you know living a life of Torah then of course the vacation is part of your avodah Hashem the vacation is holy the vacation is part of what you need to recharge so she said that she remembers that when she was away on this certain vacation she got so much clarity about how to change her life when she would get home and the time off from regular life, renewed this awareness in her, reprioritized her goals, made her much more clear by taking a step back on what she needs to do when she gets home. And she mentions that, you know, Corona for a lot of people, the pandemic made people discover parts of their life that they had never really paid attention to. You know, she said she has a woman who says, you know, 
the, the corona pandemic made me discover my garden. You know, it made me discover a corner of my house that I now really treasure. It made me discover certain relationships, right, that I maybe took for granted or I never understood how much I enjoy them. And I know for me, I can tell you that Corona, this pandemic made me give this Zoom class and welcome you all into my home. And without it, I, I, I mean, it's something that I always wanted to do, but it pushed me to do it. And I, I, it was like, right? If not now, when? So for a lot of people, the pandemic made them push them to take care of something that we would have kept saying, when I get some time, I'll do this. When I have some peace and quiet, I'll get to that. And for a lot of people, you know, it made them get to it. It's funny because in the Sheer, Robertson Schoonmaker mentions this trip to Switzerland that uh, she took as a speaker on a trip with Rabbi Frand. And that was actually the trip that I met her on because my husband and I were privileged to go on this trip, which was only in Switzerland. We stayed in Switzerland for the entire time. And she recalls that when Rabbi Frand, who's a wonderful speaker, if you've heard of him, he gave a whole opening speech about why are we in Switzerland? What merit is there to being in Switzerland and enjoying the pleasure and the beauty, which is this awesome place? He said, there's very little Jewish history here. You know, there's, you know, it's not Israel. It's not a place rich in Jewish history. And he said, you know, we kind of feel like we have to like uh, validate, give, give ourselves a good reason for being here. Because, you know, if you're taking a tour of Poland, or you're taking a tour, you know, okay, you're going to like, you know, ignite your Jewish pride, your, ignite your Jewish uh, sense of self, whatever it is, whatever the emotions are. But Switzerland, so he quotes from the Rambam and he says, when you're in a place of beauty, you can reach a level of ahavas Hashem, of loving God, like nowhere else. And it's interesting because, you know, one of the questions that everybody was asking him is there's actually a bracha that you say when you see a beautiful view. And so on this trip, a lot of times we would go, you know, climbing mountains into these incredible views. And people would go up to Rabbi Fran and say, should we say it now? Should we say it now? You know, and it was kind of like, well, I don't know, because there might be something even more awesome, right? Like, I don't know. Do I want to, you know, do I want to waste my bracha on this, so to speak, you know, when there might be something even more incredible than this? But that was the point that, you know, and there's a psalm, Psalm 103, called Barhi Nafshi, which if you take a look at it, it's just all about the beauty of the world and the beauty of nature and, you know, the kind of thing that you would say when you're standing on a mountain in Switzerland that opens up your heart and gives you the words of the greatest poet and singer of the Jewish people who encapsulates the feeling and emotions that you have when you're standing in some kind of awesome place. So again, the idea is, is that the pleasures of this world can bring a person to an incredible amount of love of Hashem. 
And, you know, for some people, this is natural. They just have to walk outside and they feel this bursting of love when they see something beautiful, when they look up at the sky and it's a beautiful day and the sky and the clouds are beautiful and the sun is shining just right, right? And there are other people who don't notice unless you point it out to them, you know? I do that sometimes, you know, whether it was my kids or my husband, wow, look at that flower, you know, it's kind of like, like they, they, they don't usually stop. They don't take a look, but like, wow, you know, and I think the older we get, the more we have this appreciation, you know, I, I didn't even understand why people grew flowers in their garden. I was like, well, wouldn't you want to grow vegetables so you could eat them? I remember thinking this, I had a friend who was really into her flowers. She goes, no, I want flowers. They're beautiful, you know? So anyway, she was saying about herself that they were in Niagara Falls and she was thinking about certain psukim in King David's Psalms while she was watching the falls, you know? Malach ge'us lavej, adir b'marom Hashem, the power of God, the strength of God, you know? And she said, because she associated looking at Niagara Falls with those psukim, now every time she says those verses, Niagara Falls comes back into her mind. You know, you think Niagara Falls is powerful? Well, think about the one, like I think about it sometimes. I grew up 10 minutes from Niagara Falls, right? And sometimes I just think the thought, it hasn't stopped doing what it does, you know, since I was born or cognizant to know what it's doing, you know, like, it never stops. It never stops pouring, you know, the water never stops falling. It never, you know, turns into a trickle. It never changes. And it's been that way for as long as I know. So call the Homer, as they say, you know, the eternity of Hashem and the infinite uh, power of Hashem, etc. Because Hashem is greater than the loudest and most powerful waters. And so now, you know, when you link some kind of beautiful site with some kind of pasuk or verse, then, they, then they're connected. And you can always recall that image as a mantra. Okay, we're going to go on. So back to um, the four elements and different personality types. So a lot of taiva is, seems to be based in the water personality because we said that water is the place of pleasure, place of emotions. And, but the truth is, is that every single personality type will struggle with taiva in a different way. And I said this, I think, in another class, so this is a bit of a review. But the ace personality is like fire, which goes up and burns and is very growth oriented. It wants to do better and better and better. That's the power of fire. On the other hand, the biggest taiva, the biggest struggle for a, a fire personality is to not be critical and controlling of the people around them. Or like we said last week, to over-function, right? We gave that example of Dina Schoonmaker gave, gave that she still treat, treats her 16-year-old as if he's five, you know, while she's helping him get ready for school in the morning. And she realized she just has to get out of the room because it's, it's her problem that she over-functions, you know. Um, 
So water, she says, is, you know, directly related to like not being able to eat one piece of chocolate, but having to eat the entire chocolate bar. Water can, the water element can be, you know, when we're shopping, we can feel it. It's, it's more, um, it's more engaged in the struggles of pleasure, the pleasurable struggles that we have. Dust, earth, afar is the heaviest element. And that's the taiva of not doing not getting going, not having motivation. It's not about what you will do, which we always think of the idea of impulsivity, you know, impulse control. It's more about what you will not do, okay? So, you know, it's the alarm clock ringing and you're rolling over and pressing the schmooze button, schnooze button and say schnooze, smooth, whatever. Did I make that into a Jewish word? Um, yeah, pressing that button and saying, okay, I got another five minutes, right? It's the mother on the couch who's exhausted and her young child is unraveling masking tape and she's like, I'm sorry, I can't get off the couch. I'll just buy a new roll of tape. Do whatever you're doing, right? It's the person who puts the bill on the fridge to pay and basically it's procrastination. This is the afar person's taiva. Again, taiva is short-lived and short-sighted. Whatever pleasure I will get will be small, will be uh, fleeting, and I will ruin my goals, okay? So even though I want to fit into that dress that I paid a fortune for and that I want to wear to that wedding, I'm going to eat anyway, right? It's short-lived and short-sighted, even if I won't be able to fit into that dress. So Taiva is something that doesn't pay off in the long run. The ace personality visits her married children and says, I won't comment on their lifestyle. And then suddenly she finds herself saying, hey, why don't you get a job? Or how can you raise your children that way? Or you're feeding them that, you know? So, you know, it's being able to control oneself. The earth struggle is I can't be bothered. I don't want to fix that thing. They don't fix it. They don't, they you know, I won't fix it before it breaks. And then waiting. And of course, the thing is beyond repair. So it's a temporary impulse about not doing. Now speech, ruach, which is speech, you know, that too is about controlling one's mouth. You know, I'm getting on the phone. And I tell myself, I'm not going to share this information. I give myself a lecture before, and then somehow at some point, it comes out. My brain knows it's not good for me to say this, but I do it anyway. You know, it's like that expression, a moment on the hip, a moment on the lips, a lifetime on the hips, right? We can, we can, um, we can say that about any aspect, you know, that, it's, it's not just good physically. It's not just good in the physical world that I'm going to be bigger than I want to be, that my relationships are going to be, you know, less, less good than I want them to be because of the things that I can't help saying. But it's a succumbing to a struggle that in the big picture, in the bigger picture, is not good. Sometimes it's an actual avera, 
But sometimes it's a pleasure that just doesn't pay off and causes more problems. So our goal is to have simcha sachayim, to have pleasure in life, happiness in life, and to have menucha sanefesh, to have tranquility and serenity. But sometimes we pay the price when we give into the impulse for pleasure. She gives an example that she was supposed to meet her aunt who, who is very elderly. And I guess this is one of her struggles, but you know, she was in a store and she was shopping and she was very involved in her shopping. And she kept looking at her watch saying, I have more time, I have more time, I have more time, right? And in the end, she said she was supposed to be at her aunt's at, at three. And you know, as people get older, they, they wait and get ready three hours before for the date, right? So she said not only was her aunt ready and waiting for her at three, but she didn't get there till 4.45. And of course she felt terrible and her aunt wasn't too happy, but she realized that she had been caught up in this incredible taiva of shopping, right? And you can replace that with whatever gets you down that rabbit hole, right? And she couldn't pull herself away from it because the seichel shuts off, the mind shuts itself down and the emotions take over. Okay, so this is an interesting thing. It says in the Mishnah, Kina, Taiva, Vikavod, in Pirkei Avos, jealousy, Taiva, desires, and Kavod remove a person from the world. So Kavod comes under Taiva and gets its own category. But Kavod is a very big Taiva. The desire for honor, the desire for other people to respect you can be part of that Taiva. So let me explain how. So it gets its own category and it manifests very strongly in the ace personality who wants to do things perfectly. Some of our taiva in mayim, in pleasure, comes from kavo. Why do you need that table decor? Why do you need that thing for your house or that high level food that you like to eat? Your physical taiva is sometimes created because society tells you that this is a status-related commodity. So a lot of times it depends on your homer, whether you need that thing out of kavod or because you happen to have very high aesthetic sensibilities. You like things to be just so. For you, it's important that you surround yourself with beauty because that's what you need to accomplish your spiritual goals. But what Dina's saying here is that often we're driven to get those physical things because of status, because of the honor that we think it will get for us from other people, because that's what other people have. That's what other people do. That's what other people eat, whatever. Okay. So a person has to be honest with themselves. Why do I need this? Why am I getting this? Is this for me or am I being influenced by the Schwartzes down the street, right? Or keeping up with the Joneses or somewhere in my mind, it's linked to Kavod and to the desire for Kavod. 
So we have to understand that there's a proper use of enjoyments of the world. If it gives you tranquility, right? That extra thing, that extra pleasure. If it gives you what we call in Hebrew, yishuv hadas and nachas ruach, a serenity so that it gives you that energy again, the pleasure drives you to want to do more in your avodat Hashem, to do more mitzvot. You come back from that vacation and you're refreshed and you just want to take over the world and do chesed for everybody or, you know, do your job better, be kinder, whatever it is, then it's good. Or are you visiting all the stores to take you away from your avodat Hashem? In other words, are the pleasures a distraction for you or an escape for you? Right? There's a whole multi-billion dollar industry which is built on escapism. You know, we just have to turn on our TVs or look at the ads in the mall. And it's all about escaping from the inner self to piling on external stuff that tells us this will make you happy if you have this, if you have that. Even in the religious magazines today, people talk about the terrible ads, you know, that, you know, we'll have this, you know, shaito that costs an arm and a leg and the ad will say, you deserve this, right? Or it'll be a whole page of a piece of meat, a steak, right? You deserve this. So even in the religious world, which is very much influenced by the secular world, we're being bombarded by these advertisements, by these notions, by these statements that tell us, if you don't have this, you're not worthy of cover, right? You're missing the point of life. It's all about seeking status and, and fulfilling the needs of your desires, giving into them. Now, again, there's an idea of this in Judaism. We have an expression that says, a beautiful home with beautiful vessels inside of it widens a person's mind. There's an idea that your Shabbos table, of course, should be gorgeous, right? Pesach, you're supposed to use the best. If you have silver and gold, that's the time to take it out. If you can afford beautiful clothing and a new shetel, that's the time to buy it, right? There's an Indian in the Gemara that a husband's supposed to buy his wife a new piece of jewelry or clothing every yantav, right? Well, you can add up all those yantavs. You could have quite a collection if your husband's really religious, you know, whatever. That's when you want him to be really religious. Um, anyway, so you're supposed to. It widens a person's mind, like we're saying it, but you have to ask yourself, why do I want this? Am I doing it for others? Am I doing it to show off? Am I doing it to brag? Am I doing it because I want people to notice my huge ring on my finger? You know, why am I doing it? Or is it something that I need for my Abodas Hashem? And again, you know, the beauty of Yefet wells in the tents of shame. This is one of the brachas that was given to Noah's son, to Noah, right? That there is a place for physical beauty and pleasure in this world, as long as we're elevating it 
to a higher place, as long as it's a means to an end and not an end in itself. So a lot of times we have mixed intentions for wanting things. Sometimes we have it for the right reason. And sometimes we don't realize unless we really investigate and inspect ourselves. And this is what Musser is about. It's about asking yourself, al heshbon ma. Do I really need this? Why do I want this so badly? Is there perhaps a reason because I saw my sister has it or my friend down the street has it and now I can't live without it? So a person has to ask, and you know what? There can be a right reason for wanting it and there can be a wrong reason. And the wrong reason can be for covering. And this can happen even in spiritual matters, right? My son, the Talmud Chacham, right? You want everybody to know about you know, how much status you have in the spiritual world, right? I do so much chesed, I want everybody to know about it, right? So, you know, I call it spiritual ostentatiousness, (laughs) where even in the spiritual world, you have to ask yourself, you know, why are you getting up to go to Kevin Rachel at five in the morning, you know, before anybody else has woken up? Is it so you could tell your friends, guess where I was this morning and make them feel like, you know, they're just a bunch of uh, schleppers, you know, because gee whiz, they didn't dove in at Kevin Rachel today and they don't do that every day. They're not at the hotel every morning at seven in the morning, but there are women that do those kind of things. But again, why are you doing it for status? Are you doing it for honor? Or is this really who you are and what you need for your Avodah Hashem? Okay. So a person has to ask themselves, again, Homer means that some people do have a lower standard aesthetically and they don't need so much. They really don't need a lot of physical stuff to make them happy. They feel pleasure and calm and tranquil without having a law. <clears throat> if anything, the more they have, right, we're in this, th- this time of minimalism, right? At a time when we have way more than we need, of course, the new fashion is get rid of it all and, you know, only have a few clothes in your closet, right? I think I, my mother bequeathed a book to me that, you know, I looked at, I didn't know she had it, called Simplicity right? And every single page is about getting rid of stuff, making your life simple. I used to have a song that I loved when I was a teenager. I don't even know who it was, but I used to play it on the guitar. And it was a bit of my philosophy, which was the the chorus went, I need the simple life. Give me the simple life. I don't want to worry about tomorrow. Just live every day completely and love for the joy of loving and then I will be happy. And then the verses are all about, you know, all these things that people are distracted by and what they want and what they think they want. And they've got to go to the moon and they got to go to Mars. And it's over there and it's out there. And we more, 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 more. And then I'll be happy. And then, you know, at the end of the day <clears throat> and at the end of life, we don't need very much. You know, our world gets smaller and smaller. And we realize that the real work and the real joys are the internal kind of things. But again, if the pleasure is a constant distraction, if you're running and returning and exchanging, and it's creating no time for your spiritual goals, 
then you have to ask yourself, is this serving me or is it not? Is it just an escape, a distraction? You can love what you're eating, we know in the physical world, but if you eat too much, it's not enjoyable anymore. There's no purpose to it. You're no longer nourishing your body. You're now destroying your body, right? The Rambam says that we destroy, that all physical ailments are the result of three things, eating too much, eating too fast, and eating the wrong foods. Just a little plug there for the Rambam and his diet. You know, putting your fork down between each spoonful is one of the ways that we can, again, eating is a huge taiva. I remember when my boys were in yeshiva, you know, they would tell me, they, somebody taught them, you know, that you don't bow to the food. In other words, when you're putting the food into your mouth, your head should not go down to the food. That rather you should bring the fork, which is probably good manners, and this is the way they eat in Buckingham Palace, right? <laughs> you bring the fork to your mouth. And even that little change in posture of how you eat is training oneself to not be subjugated to the food, to the taiva of filling your belly and the taste and everything else that goes with food, but rather being the master over your food. So you can love what you're eating, but if you eat too much, it's not good. So Masilis Yasharim asks you to ask yourself, what side of this curve am I on? <clears throat> Again, in Perak Aleph, it says the purpose of life is to do mitzvot and overcome challenges. That's why we're here. And the pleasures of the world are here to help us be able to accomplish this mission. <clears throat> because pleasure leads to tranquility and focus and leads to being able to do mitzvot and overcome difficulties. So if this pleasure, my home decor, the food I'm eating, the vacation, is leading me to more serenity, great. But if it's leading to a place of diminishing returns, right? And you got so used to this high standard of food and drink that if you don't have it, you're going to be dysregulated, right? If you don't get your coffee, your way, exactly. You're going to be a mess for the rest of the day. Then you know you become a slave. Your wants have turned into needs. And you can't function unless things are exactly the way you have it. My coffee, my way, my mattress, my way. I can't sleep on this. My pillow. Oh, my gosh. My husband said my memoir is going to be called In Search of the Elusive Pillow. You know? <laughs> um, but it shows that you're too attached to it if you're bent out of shape because of it when you don't have it. And this is a red flag. This is letting you know, right, that there's an issue here with this pleasure. <laughs> I've got to become a little less dependent because what if I don't have it, right? I mean, I don't know if it's true, but I remember they said that, you know, some of the people who did not survive the Holocaust or who were the first ones to go were the ones who led more pampered lives. 
and they couldn't survive without whatever. Listen, I mean, God forbid we should ever, you know, have to experience such a thing. And of course, it was extreme deprivation. But I once read that that did play a role for some people in how long they were able to go on. So a person who gets into a constant rat race of keeping up a standard and get, being involved in it, and, and they, they're putting so much effort into maintaining a standard, how can they possibly have menuchas and nefesh? For my avodah Hashem, I'm so busy with my curtains and my flowers and my, you know, I once was in the nail polish place and one of the nail polish ladies, you know, one of the ladies who does everybody's nails, unfortunately, this was a Jewish place, but, you know, it could have been a non-Jew, whatever, it doesn't matter. She said that she has customers who are so crazy that they can't sleep at night because the nail polish color fashion changed while they were in bed that night. And they got to get to the nail store as soon as possible to get the new color on. I mean, and she was like saying it like, they're crazy. You know, I mean, she likes the business from this woman, obviously. She's probably keeping her in business, you know. But she understood that's, that, that's nuts. Okay, so the question is, you know, when are you a slave, okay? And what happens is if you have a certain standard, you know, from there, it's a slippery slope if you can't live without it. It can actually lead to wrongdoing, to stealing, to false oaths, and to other sins. For example, the addict who ends up shoplifting to maintain his substances, the kid who takes money out of his parents' purse, not because he wants to steal, but he has an expensive habit that he has to, right? I remember in one of my first Revitson jobs, uh, one of the women's from my community, and it was a very wealthy community, you know, she was telling me about her daughter and the credit card. You know, that her daughter just spends like crazy, right? They lived in Manhattan. She was in Manhattan all the time. And what should I do? I've created this monster. I can't really, I don't, you know, I mean, I didn't really know what to tell her at this point. But again, it's not that the child is evil, but if you have certain habits that you get into, that's the place of diminishing returns. So if you start lowering your standards to be able to have this thing, this would be a sign of diminishing returns. So she gives an example that's interesting. She says, you know, somebody told her about this mother who's always running late and she always ends up asking somebody else to pick up her kid. Now, when she's running late, she's usually at the mall, okay? So she'll say something like, you know, I, I'm in the mall and, uh, you know, do you mind picking up my kid from preschool? So this woman in her group in Israel was saying, you know, it really bothers me that this friend like, it's not like she's at the doctor's office and she's running late or, but she's at the mall, okay? And she says, could you pick up my kid? And she says, you know, if you ask this woman, do you believe in leaving young children without a ride? She would say no. Or, you know, do you believe in making the teacher have to wait longer for you to get there and she can't go home or she'll miss her bus? She would say no. Of course, I don't believe in that. But unknowingly she's lowered her standard 
of what she really values, what she really believes because of her taiba of having to be in the mall, right? So, you know, if you asked her, is this what you believe in? Do you believe that other people should pick up your kid or your kid should be always feeling like, I don't know if mommy's coming today. I wonder who I'm going home with, you know? No, that's not good. You know, do you want to make the, the teacher late for her bus? No, that's not nice. Well, you're doing that. So again, the idea is that our taiga takes over our values, our seichel. What we know, we don't really hold by. Another example she gives is that she says she was once a counselor at a camp. And she said there was a girl coming up the road who was dressed a certain way. And the camp director, who she said was a very wise woman, this was in a religious girl's camp. She said to her, I want you to look at what this girl's wearing. And, you know, she said it wasn't so sanua, it wasn't so tzniyat. And she said to her, I want you to know that this girl has no idea that what she's wearing is not, you know, like up to standard. She said some designer in Paris decided what she should wear. And, you know, because of it, she's lowered her standard, right? And she doesn't know, she doesn't really know that, I mean, they're not always aware, but the point is, is that often we lower our standards based on other people's idea, ideas, even if it's not really what we believe. So she said, for example, you know, if you go to Pesach hotels, there's a lot of different types of Jews there and there's different levels of sneer. And she had a student at Michala who said to her, you know, I was away with my family for Pesach at one of these fancy hotels. And I really lost my sensitivity there that I had gained in Israel when I was at seminary about the standards of sneer, about dressing in a certain way. And anyway, she said it was unbelievable, but she had brought all these clothes with her from America that she'd bought when she was home for Pesach. And she asked Dina Schoonmaker, who was a teacher in the school, if she would mind doing her a favor and just letting her try on the clothes for her and give her the perspective back that she had gained in Israel of what's suitable and what's not. And, uh, you know, it's interesting because, again, taiva is not always done with seichel, meaning we're not always doing something or lowering our standard because that's what we believe in but we're influenced and we adapt very easily Robinson Schoomaker talks about this a lot in uh, Hanukkah time you know she says when we tell the Hanukkah story we all like to believe that we would be the Maccabees you know we would be the ones right who are fighting the Greeks and fighting those Jews who are becoming Hellenized. But she said, but the reality is, is that most Jews became Misyavni, right? They became Hellenized. They might've been nice, good Jews, but they couldn't help themselves but get, by getting involved in the philosophy of the day, in the style of the day, in the manners of the day, in the lifestyle of the day, right? And human beings have that ability to adapt. We're resilient and we're also very, very adaptable. And we adapt to social pressure. And sometimes we don't even realize it. 
And she says that this is why this, she has this uh, saying, decide, don't slide. So decide is like, wait a second, my seichel, my brain, what, where, where am I going? What are my goals? What do I want to get to spiritually? Will this bring me closer to my goals? Will this take me away from my goals? As opposed to just sliding, right? The slippery slope. Everybody else is doing it. Everybody else is wearing it. Everybody else is eating it. Must be a good hexer, right? When you live in Brooklyn, it's really confusing because everybody's dressed very religious, right? And like, there could be people all over the place doing all kinds of things. It's like, well, those Hasidim eat in that restaurant. What's wrong with it for us, you know? So again, it's decide, don't slide. Try not to lower the standard because when, when is there diminishing returns is when you lower the standard because of your taiva. Okay. Um, so one more example of that, the aged person who is perfectionistic. And because of that, he's, he or she is snapping at everyone because let's make it she, right? Because I need my house to look a certain way right? The fact that I like my house clean is fine, but it's diminishing returns if I don't let my grandchildren ever visit, right? Because they'll ruin my museum, right? They might get something dirty. They're going to have their fingerprints all over my coffee table that was just cleaned by the cleaning lady yesterday, right? Perfectly. And I paid good money for that. And it's not going to last more than five hours because guess who's coming to visit? <laughs> I don't know about you, but that's definitely. And I always say to myself, everything's back to normal again. Can you just lock that in your mind that, yes, they came, they went, it was a mess, there were fingerprints, but everything got back to normal. Just lock that in your mind. It's okay. Things will get, you know, whatever. But the point is, it's diminishing returns. If you're such a perfectionist that, you know, God forbid, you're a nervous wreck when they come and you don't want them to come. Okay, so that was my last example on the idea of, you know, we have to be careful that everything that we do as a person who is God conscious and working to become more God aware is, you know, what does God want from me at this moment? Is this going to bring me closer to you or take me away from you? Is this pleasure going to enhance and give me energy to be able to do the spiritual work? Or is it a place of diminishing returns where I'm chasing it? I'm using it as an escape. I've become the slave to it. It's no longer serving me, right? It's distracting me from a Vodas Hashem because I'm so busy renovating my house all the time. And changing it again because it's a new color, right? That this is a way of being busy, busy, busy with stupidities, right? With nothingness. And even if you can say about yourself, I need this, there's a point to which it's, it, it doesn't serve you because it's taken over. And again, some people need more things and some people need to have you know, their walls painted every five years. Okay. As long as, again, it's not 
a way of taking you away from what your goals are. Again, the purpose of life is to do mitzvah and to overcome challenges. And if our pleasures are helping us to do that, then we're supposed to use it and, and enjoy it. But if it's having an effect that is taking us away, that's where we have to be careful and ask ourselves, why do I need this? On What am I going to lose by making this a new thing that I must have? And without it, I don't know how I'll go on, right? Once I put this new pleasure in my life, realize now you've become dependent on it, right? I always go away at this time. We always go on vacation six times a year. Well, now you've created a certain standard where it's going to be difficult to go lower than that because you become dependent on it. Okay, ladies, I hope that I've made this point clearly. I'm making it for myself as well. <laughs> and uh, thank you so much for coming on and have a wonderful week. And great to see all of you. Any comments, questions? Thank you, thank you Javora. This beautiful class as always. Thank you. It's Toby. Thanks, Toby. Thank you. Oh, I wanted to send a shout out to another thank you. Toby, by the way. Who, if you remember last week, I couldn't record. So it was like, you know, I couldn't record. I said, okay, so what? So it's not going on the podcast. So people won't listen, whatever. And then all of a sudden, I got an email in the middle of the afternoon by somebody who I didn't even know who it was, but she comes on the class sometimes. Maybe she's on now. I don't know. And she said, would you like a, a recording of your class today? And I was like, what? She goes, I recorded it on my cassette player. Now, she lives on my street, like one block away. She said, if you want, you can pick up the cassette. So I picked up the cassette, and then I had to... Uh, email her back and say can I pick up your player too because I don't have a cassette player anymore so that's how I was able to tape last week's class which sounds very tinny and it's not very good quality but for some reason it looks like a lot of people are listening to it it's a class called what makes you tick and um, anyway so thank you to Toby who quickly grabbed her cassette and recorder when she heard me saying oh guess I'm not recording and actually rescued that class from the dust heap of whatever um uh, i can't think today anonymity or whatever okay so where can you get the recording devora well it's on my where can podcast. you get that one any any podcast station accessing your best self you just go get okay. free get a free app right and you can um download it um okay thanks okay or i can send it to you harriet whatever you like yeah, could you send it to me? Sure. That would be better. Sure. Okay, okay. and anyway, thank you for coming on. And have thank a wonderful you. week. Very inspiring. Thank you, Deborah. Thank you. Thanks so much. Bye. Take care. Bye-bye. I'm Sarah Good day. Good day. Bye.